So here we are. <laughs> Can God survive evolution? Uh, I've had a horrible week. <laughs> yeah. Looking at this, uh, just crazy. I mean, it's not like I've never read stuff on it before. Over the years, I've probably read a fair bit. But obviously, been a bit more intense this week and just trying to really drill down into some stuff. And uh, flipping heck, you know, you just think, oh, what do you include and what don't you? In 25 minutes, you know, honestly, what... So some of you are going to be frustrated after this message. Sorry in advance. Because uh, um, we just won't get to stuff that you want, us, want me to get to. I'm imagining there's some nervousness in the room. I think some of you who are a part of the church are probably nervous that I'm going to loosen my grip on uh, historical truths that the church has held on to for millennia or, or centuries at least. And, um, and I'm going to just kind of give way to the landslide of maybe what you consider to be secular evolutionism. But ironically, there may be others of you sitting here nervously thinking, oh no, he's going to hole up in some archaic religious fortress, you know, uh, a conspiracy theory, every bit of science done that isn't Christian is really an attempt to undermine God. And, you know, so I'm imagining in the room, there's two, deg- two directions of nervousness going along. Um, so that's fun. And... Uh, <laughs> I really just want to stay, start by saying, really, what do, what do, I, what do, I, what do I know? <gasps> what do I know? Uh, in, terms of, in terms of my own personal experience of creation or the Big Bang, what do I know? Nothing. I wasn't there. I, just, I know it's really obvious. I just want to start by saying that. Whether it was 6,000 years ago or 13.4 billion years ago, I wasn't there. I didn't see it. Okay? I didn't. And... Neither did you. So, I wanted to start by saying there's got to be some humility as we approach this thing today. What we mustn't do is approach it with either smugness or, I don't know, kind of a a deliberately uh, militant posture. We've just got to be humble and say, man, okay, we are dealing with things that happened, regardless of when they happened, happened way before our time. And happened before any... Any human existed, regardless of what theory you're going to go for. I just want to say that at the, at the beginning, really, just to kind of get the, get, the, get the approach right. I suppose I'm trying to pull the rug a bit on that posture that just is overly, unhelpfully um, aggressive. I'm not going to do that. I just think it's unproductive, unwise, uh, not godly. So I'm not going to do that. Um, it's interesting when one character in the Bible had a really tough time and um, cried out and made his complaint to God. God finally revealed himself to him and one of the first things he said to him is, where were you <laughs> when I laid the foundation of the earth? It's like, oh yeah. Um, so we've just got to watch it on that front. And So, you know, um, hopefully, um, hopefully I won't fudge everything. But <laughs> I might fudge a few things, but hopefully I won't fudge everything. It's been a... It's been a week, in, uh, you know, obviously I've, it's not, I, I want to get it right so you understand it. It's not, I've just started reading on this stuff, okay? I've been interested in it for years. I've been a Christian 21 years, been interested in it from the start. But this week's obviously been very intense. I spent more time this week in uh, secular arguments for uh, uh, naturalistic causes of, for life and all of that. And you, you sort of come up for air every now and then, and then you read some other stuff. And I've read old Earth creationists, young Earth creationists. I've read Bible uh, 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 um, evolution believing believers, evolution believing. I'm, I mean, I've been everywhere. And uh, I just want to say it's been wonderful to be here today. 
just to be worshipping the Lord. <laughs> uh, not in just some kind of sentimental, or esoteric kind of way, but from the perspective that I know a lot of you. And I know a lot of you well. And I, I know your lives. And I know your hearts. And I know what Christ has done in your lives. And so as I'm looking around, I'm filled <laughs> just with life. And it's no coincidence that the, the reason that Christianity grew exponentially as it did in the early centuries was because of the lives of the believers. Was in, their lives were inexplicable. It, it, what is this? <laughs> it's not just one or two unusual people. It's a, it's a community of people that are just are completely different. And uh, just, just want to say, being around you is such a blessing. Knowing you, knowing your life, knowing the fact that some of you are facing some big battles, but just seeing the glory of Christ in your life, it's just been beautiful. So I want to just say thank you. You've made my week a lot better. Um, so, okay, let's try and hit this thing then. Um, from the start, I'm just up. First of all, I'll ask the question, what's the problem? You know, or where's the battle? Or however you want to phrase it. Why is this question one of the, one of the seven? What's the big deal here? What's going on here? Are, is there an irreconcilable difference between um, Christianity and science? We need to ask that question first. First of all, um, I would say that the weight of history says no. Um, now, the church definitely from time to time has persecuted some, Christ, some scientists that have made claims that at the time were perceived as anti-biblical. There has been, that has gone on, yes. But the weight, uh, the weight of history would say no. Uh, science and Christianity are not incompatible. Not only that, the Christian worldview, the, un, the Christian understanding of life, of God, I would say without a doubt, lends itself to uh, the encouragement of scientific endeavour rather than the opposite, uh, causing a repulsion from anything of the sort. And I want to just show you that. Uh, firstly, quickly, let's talk about the Christian worldview, the understanding of how the Christian sees life, creation, God, uh, and how that helps scientific um, endeavour. So firstly, um, uh, monotheism, the belief in one God, the belief that there is one God, one personality, if you like, who created all things, uh, creates a, a logical, a sequential line of thought, which should then say, well, surely then, if that is true, then there ought to be a universal, a principle, a, a universal principles, uh, universal laws in that creation. Because it, the, the creation is not a, a, a result or the consequence of a number of a differing uh, divine personalities with different approaches and different uh, values, different moral characters, and so the things just are washed with all kinds of directions. We believe in one God who created all things, therefore uh, we should believe in universal principles, and that is actually a basis for a lot of the most profound and early scientific endeavour, which actually we believe that it's not just going to be uh, random, but there's some universal things we're going to find here because there's one God behind it all. Uh, secondly, that the Bible reveals that God to be rational and ordered. Um, it leads to the understanding, therefore, what we will find will be rational and ordered, that there, are, that there will be some very beautiful principles and laws that are to be built on one another and that together can create an amazing picture, which there is. Uh, and thirdly, the fact that God is transcendent. So, he, so this God is above his creation. So uh, many uh, belief systems in the world would say that God is in all things or God is all things and everything is divine. We would say no, everything is sacred because we're made by God but it's not divine. 
It's not God. And therefore there is all freedom to explore this wonderful creation that God has given us without worrying that as we do so we're splitting apart God, etc., etc. God is transcendent on his creation and he has called his creation good so it's not to be uh, viewed with suspicion or we're not to see a matter as bad or evil. God looked at all that it made and said it is very good, Genesis 1.31. So actually the Christian worldview gives an amazing and wonderful foundation for scientific endeavour. And then if we just look at history for a while, a few characters in history that would just hopefully help us to understand Stand and see the long, rich heritage of um, Christians in science. Nicholas Copernicus, 1473 to 1543. This guy suggested that the Earth travelled around the Sun, which at the time was a big thing to suggest. Christian. Galileo, the big name that's always brought forward as this poor guy who was persecuted by the church, which to some extent he was. Um, nevertheless, a Bible-believing man. He, Galileo was the guy who suggested the earth was not the centre of the universe, which led to lots of trouble. Um, believe the Bible. Johann Kepler, founder of modern optics, astronomer and mathematician, 1571 to 1630, Christian. Sir Isaac Newton, 1642 to 1727, formulated the law of gravity, Christian and theologian. Michael Faraday. 1791 to 1867 discovered the phenomenon of electromagnetic induction and invented the first electro electric motor and dynamo. Christian. We can go on and on. Joseph Lister pioneered antiseptic surgery. Louis Pasteur, who gave us pasteurisation. <laughs> Gregor Mendel, who, who helped form the basis of the science of genetics. Professor James Simpson paved the way for the painless surgery to anaesthetics. He was once asked, what do you think is the most important discovery of your life? He replied, the most important discovery I ever made was when I discovered Jesus Christ. Amen. So, I just want to show, uh, biographically, this whole thing of uh, Christians being unscientific, his, history does not um, bear that to be the case. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not true. So... There is not, that's not where the battle is. John Lennox, the guy I referred to earlier, says this. There is a conflict, a very real one, but it's not really a conflict between science and religion at all. For if that was so, elementary logic would dictate that one would find that scientists were all atheists and only non-scientists believe in God. And this, as we've seen, is simply not the case. No, the real conflict is between two diametrically opposed worldviews, naturalism and theism. They inevitably collide. Now, for many, by no means all, hear that, but for many, behind the general theory of evolution is a necessary understanding of the universe that is fundamentally naturalistic. Okay, that's, that would just be for many people, not all at all. There are believers who go the whole hog in terms of believing in the general theory of evolution. But... For many, behind it, there is this necessary understanding. Now, what is this natu what is naturalism? What is this worldview in naturalism? What is it? Okay, well, the best way to describe it is this. It's, it, it's the belief that outside of the cosmos, there's nothing else. That's the best way to describe it. I don't know if any of you have heard of Carl Sagan. Carl Sagan, he was um, very prolific during the uh, last second half of the 20th century. He was an um, astronomer, astrophysicist, cosmologist, author, science popularizer, science communicator. He was a big deal. And he said this, the cosmos is all there is, or was, or ever shall be. The cosmos or what we would call creation, is all there is, or was, or ever shall be. That's a, a very, how can I put it, that's a, that's a, that's a classic 
naturalistic phrase there. Um, just to say, naturalism and naturism are different things. I'm not talking about people wanting to walk around naked. Okay? I just want to get that straight at the start. It's close. They're close in terms of words. So the, the big battle isn't against people who want to be naked, people who believe in God. I just want to make that clear. Naturalism, different thing. Okay. So, uh, so the, it's good to straighten these things out. Otherwise, people at the end are like, hold on a minute. When you say, so let's straighten that one out. Uh, Okay, so, so we've got, this, is where the com- this is where the big battle is. Um, the Christian is convinced that there is someone behind the cosmos, uh, someone independent of the cosmos, someone who oversees the cosmos, someone in whom the whole cosmos holds together. That's the Christian belief. That is, I mean, you, you, you remove that, there's nothing left. That is a plank, okay? There's some planks we'll talk about today. That's a plank. Okay, that's a big one. That's, that is foundational. Um, John Lennox again, listen to this. He says, is naturalism actually demanded by science? Or is it just conceivable that naturalism is a philosophy that is brought to science more than something that is entailed by science? Could it even be, dare one ask, more like an expression of faith, akin, not the same as, but akin to religious faith? One might at least be forgiven for thinking that from the way in which those who dare ask such questions are sometimes treated. Like religious heretics of a former age, they may suffer a form of martyrdom by the cutting off of their grants. He's talking about scientists who want to explore stuff but don't believe in naturalism. They have a theistic uh, mindset, a theistic worldview. And he's talking about in some situations, in some settings, they are persecuted um, because of this belief, because of a prevailing mindset, if you like, of naturalism in some sectors of life and the world. And so what he's, what, he's there, what he's putting forward there is that naturalism is something that's brought to science rather than something that naturally proceeds from science. So let's talk about naturalism for a bit, just some of the problems with it. Firstly, naturalism cannot answer the big why questions. There's an attempt to and can't. Um, there is no why. There is no meaning. If everything around us is just a, a, the, 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 the production of random processes, then the why question is a nonsense. It doesn't mean anything. So if you're really going to embrace this, you're really going to go for this, then you've got to understand what you are embracing. You cannot ask why. In terms of the big why. Why am I here? Purpose, meaning. Objectively, it can't be a part of the discussion because it doesn't, that whole thing does not exist. Okay? It's really important that you understand that there is no personality or personal purpose behind the cosmos. There is no objective, this is why you're here. So you've got to stop asking that question, which doesn't actually make sense then of why we ask that question. The why question doesn't fit with a naturalistic universe. Why we should even be asking it in the first place is pretty weird. Pretty strange. Secondly, naturalism does struggle very much to make sense of what we call the fine-tuning of the universe, however you want to put it. Um, The... In the Lennox book I referred to, there is, and also in Andrew Wilson's book, If God Then What, there's some great chapters just looking at what is, I guess, called by a lot of people the fine-tuning of the universe. The odds, the odds for there being the balance of every, anything from physical laws to the chem, chem, laws of chemistry, um, cosmology, coming together as they have with the universe that we have are extraordinary. 
Um, I don't want to bamboozle you with zeros, you know. But one of the, one of the most helpful illustrations I read this week was they were saying, saying something like this. That in terms of the odds, getting it right, it would be like someone putting a bit of A4 paper at the other end of the observable universe, throwing a dart and it hit in the middle. In terms of the amount of things that come together and hold together, it's absolutely extraordinary. And these aren't people; these aren't just you know just the Christians say that. This is just accepted; it's, it's acknowledged um, by lots of people. I mean, rem- remarkable things. Same people like Dawkins and Hawking, when they're not being at their deliberately most vociferous from time to time, will say things that demonstrates and shows that. Um, I mean, there's some you know, there's quotes on the internet. You sh- they, they are awestruck by, by the cosmos. They're amazed, amazed by it. They love, they love creation. They're, I mean, they're just in, they are in wonder. And I think even with the, the, the rise of atheism and all that, it doesn't stop the nature programs, does it? They proliferate at the same rate. We are amazed at what we see, um, all of us. It's extraordinary. But, uh, naturalism um, struggles to make sense of that, whereas for the, for, the, for the believer, we just say, God's really clever, and uh, that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. It's okay to say that, because um, you either got a really, really hyper intelligent creator, or you've just got something completely inexplicable, and you've got to you've got to decide. You've got to decide what it is. Um, not only that, just to say as well, naturalism is a, it is a horrible idea. Not just sentimentally, oh, there's no meaning, you know, but socially. So there's no genuine foundation for moral absolutes. Human rights, justice, mercy, compassion, grace. There's no, there's no objective foundation for those things. Uh, from a naturalistic perspective, the rule of thumb of life is self-interest, survival of the fittest. Call it that if you like. The strongest, the strongest march on. That, that is the belief system behind it. Um, and so, it's not to say that someone with that belief wouldn't say. We should be compassionate, absolutely. But if you really, really, really get behind it, get behind it, what's driving it, what's driving it, what's driving it, it will be self-interest. If I'm compassionate to you, then most likely you'll be nicer to me, and then most likely we'll both survive. And there won't, be, there won't end up being lots of fightings and wars that could end up being a really big war, which blows us all up. So it's self-interest. At, 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 is at the back of it. That's, that's all it can do. Um, Christian understanding of the cosmos is not self-interest or survival of the fittest, but love. It's just, this is beautiful. I mean, you've got to just stop for a moment. We believe God created out of love, that we might know and love him and love our neighbour. We believe that God rescued us from our moral failure out of love. We believe that through new life in Christ, we might be restored to live lives of love. It's just beautiful. And it's not naive. I want to say that. It's not just naive or soppy or sentiment. It's huge. It's huge. It's just a beautiful thing. So we mustn't confuse naturalism and science. They're not the same thing. Um, okay, it's really important. But what about naturalism and evolution? What do we do with those bad boys? Are they inseparable? If you're going to go for evolution, have you got to go for naturalism? Well, that's what we're going to try and look at in the next few minutes. Uh, I will say, just because most believers in evolution may be naturalistic in their outlook on life, I don't think it has to be that way. Why? Because I believe in evolution? Uh, that's not my reason for saying that. My reason is this. There are many believers in Christ who believe in evolution. And they believe in Christ. They love Jesus. 
and, they were, and many of them would describe themselves as evangelical, which means that they received the Bible as authoritative. Just, I mean, that's, that's just what it is. It's not me saying I agree or disagree with them. I'm just saying you can believe in Jesus and believe in the Bible and embrace it. Now, you've got to, you, know, you, you have to grapple with some stuff, but you do either way. Well, we'll have a look at that. But I can't stand here and say, no, no, there's no believers who believe in evolution, but when there are, because there are. And that's not a comment on evolution, it's a comment on just as observation. So that's the first thing I'm going to say. But how are we really going to drill down and what, we, what, what should we look at today? Well, first, I think we've got to discern the age that we live in. There's, there, is, there is a fierce hostility against believers, not necessarily just of Christians, but all, all believers against the movement that we tend to call the New Atheists. Just touch on that very quickly. One of their leading figureheads would be Richard Dawkins, and obviously there are others, and they tend to be very vocal and particularly quite aggressive. Remember the, the bus posters? Remember those? You know, God isn't, God isn't, what is it, something like, God isn't real, so get over it and enjoy your life. Something like that. Stop worrying and enjoy your life. You remember that ads on the buses for a while? A very, quite an, uh, quite an aggressive, militant movement to really try to, I guess, um, expose the religious as uh, either just terribly insecure or unscientific or just really, I guess, objects of scorn. Um, and they would insist that we must believe in the general theory of evolution in order to be taken seriously. There's this insistence very often that... So, although, I'm, although what I have said already is that there are believers who do believe in evolution, they would say, if you're going to be taken seriously, you've got to believe in evolution. Uh, well, I'm going to challenge that. I'm going to absolutely challenge that. Listen to this quote from Tim Keller. It's a great quote. He says this, The general theory of evolution is fast becoming what Peter Berger calls a plausibility structure. It's a set of beliefs considered so basic and with so much support from authoritative figures and institutions that it is becoming impossible for individuals to publicly question them. A plausibility structure is a given, supported by enormous social pressure. The writings of the new atheists here are important to observe because their attitudes are more powerful than their arguments. The disdain and refusal, and refusal to show any respect to opponents is not actually an effort to refute them logically, but to ostracise them socially and turn their own views into a plausibility structure. They are well on their way. We are not to be intimidated into towing a certain line, those of us that are Christians. That is wrong. That is absolutely wrong to be cornered into saying, OK, I believe that. God calls us to be people of conviction. People who believe what we say we believe and we, we, through, through relationship with him, through study, through thinking, through working things out. We are to engage graciously in this conversation. We are to be respectful. We are to listen. We are to ask questions. But we are not to be intimidated and forced to make statements before we are ready to. We must arrive at a place of genuine personal conviction. Christians are to take the two things that they have. The Bible and the various discoveries and engage with both. So we are to reject naturalism. We are to follow the discussion around creation and evolution and engage with it. Some of us will be at different levels for all of us. I know that. 
but we are to engage with it. I want to say that. We don't just go, okay then, that seems to be everyone's saying, okay, fine. Or, no, 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 la, 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 I've said it, I can't hear. No, not that, not that. There's nothing to be feared in science. The truth stands up to scrutiny, right? Surely. The truth always stands up to scrutiny. We don't have to fear what will be discovered. I'm excited about discoveries. I'm not going to just believe everything everyone says is a discovery. I want to find out more. I want to look into that. I want to just show you, I've just got a quote here just to help you understand how hard it is to know what to do with a particular element of the evolution discussion. There's so many elements. Age of the Earth, who was Adam, and all, there's so many. I want to just look through quickly at the fossil record, because that's a big part, it's a big part of the deal. Uh, And both sides use it, (laughs) both sides of the debate use the fossil record. And I want to read you a quote just to help you understand Oh, this thing, okay, right, we, you know, this thing isn't just read one article and go with that. You mustn't do that. You, you really mustn't do that. So here we go. Just, uh, first, so firstly, what is a fossil? It's the remains or impression of a prehistoric organism preserved in petrified form or as a mould or cast in a rock. And so what people tend to do, um, of the archaeologists, paleontologists, etc., etc., uh, paleoanthropologists, learned that one this week, okay, so they would, they, obviously they would study different levels the record that we have, looking to, find, looking to find various links between various species, looking to age and date and consider things, and is this linked with this? And th- this, is, this, is, this is a big deal and going on um, as we speak, and here's this quote, I thought it was an interesting quote. The fossil record is one of the most common evidences given for evolution. It is. It's named as such in the National Curriculum for Key Stage 4 Science and so features in most syllabuses and textbooks at this level and above. But there are several facts about the fossil record which do not fit well with Darwin's theory of evolution. Facts which evolutionary biologists need to explain away rather than use as evidence for their theory. So Charles Darwin was very aware of this and devoted a whole chapter of the origin of species to the subject. The key problem is this. Darwin's theory relies on minute changes in organisms which slowly accumulate, gradually changing the organism until it eventually becomes a new species. If this is correct, then the fossil record should should contain many fossils with forms intermediate between different species. This is not what the fossil record shows. As Darwin put it, so there's a quote from Darwin now, geology assuredly does not reveal any such finely graduated organic chain, and this perhaps is the most obvious and serious objection which can be urged against the theory. That's Darwin. How did Darwin overcome this obvious and serious objection? He claimed that the gaps were due to the extreme imperfection of the geological record. The fossil record does not, in fact, give a very good record of the past. One reason for this at the time was the still very limited knowledge of the global fossil record. Darwin expected more intermediate forms to be found as research continued. But when, 140 years later, Professor Steve Jones of University College London published an updated version of Darwin's Origin of Species in 1999, the fossil record still posed the same problem. The fossil record in defence of Darwin's whole idea of gradual change often makes great leaps from one form to the next. That's fact. Far from the display of intermediates to be expected from slow advance through natural selection, many species appear without warning, persist in fixed form and disappear, leaving no descendants. 
Geology surely does not reveal any finely graduated organic chain, and this is the most obvious and gravest objection which can be urged against the theory of evolution. So the fossil record is the cause of ongoing debate between evolutionists, firstly. On the one side, geneticists and theoreticians stand for Darwinian gradualism. They continue to claim the lack of intermediate forms is due to the rarity of fossilization and the imperfection of the fossil record. Thus, the fossil record is something which needs to be explained away. It's not great evidence at the moment for Darwinian evol evolution. But on the other side, still evolutionists, those with the more first-hand knowledge of fossils stand for what they call punctuated equilibrium. Evolution occurs mainly in sudden bursts, but with long periods of little change. This explains why intermediate forms are not found in the fossil record. They were around for such relatively short times, the chance of their being fossilized was very low. However, punctuated equilibrium lacks a clear mechanism. How is biological change produced as fast as the fossil record seems to require? Still debated. This has led some scientists to say that both evolution explanations are wrong and that all life has not evolved from a common ancestor. Intermediate forms are not found in the fossil record because they've never existed. In the view of these scientists, unlike evolutionists, the fossil record is a very good source of evidence about past organisms and no more than that. Non-evolutionists agree with one another that the fossil record is an accurate portrayal of species in the past and that intermediate forms never existed, but they disagree on the timing of the fossil record. Some accept the conventional dating of millions of years and propose that a designer intervened at different moments to modify or create organisms. Others propose that all organisms were created at the beginning and that the fossil record is due to their deaths at different times in catastrophic events. So rather than being straightforward evidence for evolution, the fossil record is the subject of a great deal of scientific controversy. Long quote. <laughs> But I wanted to just show you, within that, just what you're faced with. Today, you're not going to get from me, this is my conviction, and I think this should be the conviction of Revelation Church. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Why? If I did it, I'd be doing it for the wrong reason. I'd be doing it to try and look like the man of conviction, rather than speaking out of conviction. I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to engage with it though. It will not become the quest of my life. But I'm going to remain engaged with it. There are certain things that I do know. Certain things that I would say are just three big planks that I think really need to be, really need to be there. The first is, the one I've mentioned already, God as the source of life in the cosmos. Absolutely. Second plank, mankind made in the image of God and set apart from the rest of the creatures God has made. Now again, how that happened? Don't know. So does that mean that there were like hominids for millions of years and at one point God laid a hold of one of those, breathed his image into him and it became Adam? Don't know. Or does it mean that Adam and Eve were the first hominids and before that there were, there were no you know, bipedals? There were, you know, they were the first ones. Don't know. Sorry. It wasn't there. Third plank. Mankind has fallen from glory through the real man, Adam, and redeemed back to glory through the real man, Christ Jesus. Yeah. He must have been a real person. The whole of the gospel is built on the fact. The whole of Jesus as the second Adam is built on first Adam. The whole of understanding of sinful humanity is built on Adam's sin. Adam is federal head of humanity. Jesus is a new head of humanity, um, bringing many sons to glory. It's, it's, all, it's all built on it. You can't... 
the, the Bible writers clearly believed in historical Adam. So they're the three planks. As a believer, I'm convinced we mustn't move on those things because they're foundational. But I think on the other things, I think we've got to listen. I think we need to be a church that listens and thinks and mulls it over. And as we're not, we're not, we're not going to move on, what we are going to move on. And we've got to engage with Genesis 1 and say, okay, how do we, how do, we do that bit of literature? Okay, what do, we, what do we think of that? What's going on there? We've got to do that. Done a bit of that this week, as you can imagine, done a bit of it over the years. We've got to look at it. So, I know that for some of you think, oh, you? <laughs> Say some more. <laughs> now your colours to the mast. Hopefully most of you know me well enough to know, well, now my colours to the mast when I know what my colours are. I won't shrink back from doing that. I, I, I've, just, I've been utterly bamboozled this week. I've dreaded this. <laughs> I haven't got to feel sorry for me, it's fine. I'll get over it. Fina, give me a kiss and it'll be fine. But I've dreaded it because I thought, you know what? This so isn't me to say, I don't know. <laughs> but I'm like, I, I, need, I, need, I need some more time. I need some more time. So I'm going to end on what I do know. Whatever genuine scientific discoveries there are, those discoveries have got to take me somewhere. They've got to lead me somewhere. They've got to lead me to a place of wonder and awe. Not just at creation, but at the creator. It's got to, it's got to take me there. Um, see, the Bible says this, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. The Bible says day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. The creation is saying something. It's saying something incredible. I mean, even, even the beauty of a sunset, with a naturalistic mindset, it's a nonsense, it's just colours. Stop being so ridiculous. It's just colours. What is beauty? There's no such thing as beauty. As we look at it and we go, oh, what is that? That's meaningful. That is meaningful. That is not to be despised or shelved or looked upon as something irrelevant or insufficient or to be grown out of. It's beautiful. And the gospel brings together truth and beauty. Not just truth. Here's some facts. Believe them. Restores broken lives. Brings the beauty of the creator back into our lives. The heart of the matter is that the wonders of creation tell a story and give a voice to the praises of the Creator. There's a voice in these things. Can you hear it? Not just can you hear it, do you hear it? I'm not just speaking to those people here who would say, oh, I'm not a Christian. I'm speaking to you Christians as well. Do you hear it? Do you, do you stop and actually smell that flower ever? Or are you just on your mission, whatever that might be, get to work on time or whatever? Do you, do you hear what's being said? Because something beautiful is being said. Hebrews 11 says this, By faith, this is big now, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. That's massive. By faith, I un- there's something I understand, right? I get it. I get it. I get that the universe was 
uh, made by the word of God, so that what is seen was made out of something invisible. How do, how do you understand? How do you get that? By faith. That's what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't say, come on, think harder, figure it out. No, there's, there's something that God does which wakes you up. See? I can't escape it. Now I want to just I want to unpack it a bit because I, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding around faith. What is faith? Faith is a faculty by which we can understand things that we couldn't without it. It's a faculty that is given to us by God. Now it doesn't mean that you despise the other faculties. So you don't say, I'm not interested in the fact that they've discovered dinosaur bones. I've got faith. That's seen. I'm living with the unseen. Yeah? Faith doesn't mean that you just you ignore that. No, no, not at all. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means that it, faith recognises that my five senses are insufficient to understand fully. Insuff- completely insufficient. It's like if I said to you, oh, did you taste that sunset the other night? You said, what? Did you taste it? What are we talking about? That's not what taste is for. Taste does ice cream, not sunsets. There are certain senses for certain things. This thing called faith is a faculty that God gives, that it wakes you up to stuff. And if you're here and you're, you don't have that faith, you might find that infuriating. You might think, I knew you'd default to that. What can I do? What, I can pretend I don't have faith for a while. I've been woken up. Been given, I can't, but it won't last for long. I know what I know, what I know, what I know. I don't mean that in an arrogant way. All I'm saying is, how can I, how can I, how, I can't live deceitfully. I've got to be true to what I know. So how does it, how does this thing, how does this faith thing work? Here's how it works. It works naturally and supernaturally. Here's what I mean. The Bible says that the knowledge of God in one sense, is the most obvious and natural thing from creation. Look at creation, it's obvious, there must be a God. But that we've deliberately suppressed that one. Remember we looked at that one a few weeks back? We suppress, don't, don't like that. Because <laughs> if there's a God, then I'm accountable. If there's a God, then there's all other things coming into play. Moral accountability, judgment, personal responsibility, objective stand, standards. You know, that's like, more. Oh, not sure, don't like that, because I'd rather just do what's right in my own eyes. So we push that down. And then the Bible says that when we push that down, it leads to something else, which it calls, um, which says we become futile in our thinking and darkened in our hearts. And so what happens now is, is because of this pushing down, my mind becomes futile, my heart becomes dark, and then at that point, faith becomes the most unnatural thing in the world. I can't, I don't get it, I can't get it. I can't just believe, I can't get it. So actually, so it's, in one sense, it's the most natural thing, but because of what we've done, it's the most unnatural thing. So something supernatural needs to happen in order to restore us to be fully human. And it's a gift from God that is graciously bestowed and enables us to comprehend and understand things that otherwise have become hidden. That's the, Bi- that's the Bible teaching. I'm a Bible teacher. I'm not a scientist. <laughs> I certainly realised that this week. That's what the Bible teaches. Now why is this so important? He said, okay, imagine, uh, run with me a bit. Those of you that are here, you think, nah, just run with me for a bit. Why is that a big deal? Why, why is that important? It's to do with humility and pride. That's what God would say. I'll show you why from Scripture in a minute. You see, when, when God put the man and the woman in the garden, he said, there's a, there's, a, there's a tree there, 
I don't want you to eat from that tree. It's called the knowledge of good and evil. That tree, it's going to take you somewhere where it's not going to do you good. It's going to take you somewhere in terms of knowledge where you really, you, you weren't made for. And it's going to, it's going to lead to death. Um, but the lure and the seduction of being like God was too much. And the man and woman gave way to it. They reached for the stars in a wrong sense and ended up falling. And it's, but it's created a t- trajectory that we've been on ever since. And so later on in the Bible, God says that through wisdom we have not come to know God. So through our various attempts to know and find out more and discover more, actually it's not that we don't discover stuff, but you know what, we don't find God. We don't. The Bible says that actually through wisdom the world has not come to know God, and so it pleased God. It's pleased God through the foolishness of preaching the cross to save those who believe. You say, why? It's a deliberate strategy on God's part to deal with our prideful hearts. Because here's the thing. As the discoveries grow on our planet and in our laboratories, so does the evil. And I'm not saying the discoveries are wrong, but I'm just saying, as the discoveries grow, let's just track humanity at the same time, and I'm not saying they're intrinsically linked, I'm just making a comment, we're not getting better. Injustice grows, continues to grow. The discovery didn't deal with the injustice. Oh, the discovery didn't deal with the oppression. Oh, the discovery didn't deal with war, made war worse. Oh, the the discovery is not dealing with the problem. Yeah? It's not creating a better world. It's not creating a better society. It's not creating more love. It's not creating compassion. It's not creating uh, these various things that we all long for and hope for. The self-centeredness not dealt with by one discovery one natural discovery it's not saving knowledge that's the point that's the point and this is why I'm just going to wrap things up now this is why the Bible suggests there is one thing that we need more than anything anything else and it's a powerful encounter with God not not some guy or some man or some woman getting on your case and shouting so loud that you then, okay, oh, fine, I'll be a believer. Not that. Not um, strange manipulative techniques and weird things to get you to finally succumb. Not that. Okay? In fact, you could argue from the Bible opposite from that. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit and power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. And when you've encountered God and when you know God at work in your life and at work in your heart, as messy as it is, it's impossible to deny. It's impossible to deny. I might as well deny my existence. I might as well. I pray this, what I, what, by all accounts, is a very unimpressive little prayer as a ridiculous 18-year-old young man who thought he was cool, basically said, Jesus, here I am, I'm all yours. And he's, he's turned my life around and continues to. What can I say? It's the power of God. So I can read all this stuff, plausible words, all through the whole week, plausible, plausible. Da, da, da. And then what, what, what do I come back to? It's like, well, some of it makes a pretty heavy reading and you do stuff, you question stuff and you have all these doubts and all, all, all of that. And you go through that whole journey and you come out and you're like, I know God. I know God. Because I've been converted. Because the Holy Spirit's 
come on me and yeah. indwells me. And, 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 I'm, I, and so, and so I, what I want to ask us as a church, those of us that are believers, I want to say, get to know God closely, walk with him, and then listen, and read, and consider, and reflect, and don't fear. Don't fear. Work out. Is the way I understand the Bible correct here? Read, read theologians. Read scholars. Read what the guys say that hate the Bible. Read. Think. Consider. Wait. Take your time. Do it. Do it with a heart of worship. Do it with a heart saying, God, I don't want to just, I don't want to just give way to stuff. But neither do I want to just hold up in something because I just feel defensive. Teach me. Oh, God. There it is. Q&A. It's a bit late, sorry. Cool. Um, there are lots of questions today. Yeah. Um, I've grouped some of them together, so if I'm not repeating a question in the way you texted it in, that's probably why, so apologies for that. Um, I think the question that we had kind of most often was about what we do with Genesis 1. Yeah. So maybe in the light of, of last week, whether we look at it as poetry or yes. take it literally. Yes. Um, yeah, so if you could make a comment on that, that yeah. would be helpful. The, the comment I will make on it at the moment is only as sort of far as I've got. Obviously, all these things, you know, is as far as I've got. I think definitely to just to just... To just label it as mythical, you can't, you can't just do that. I know that for sure. Um, in, this, in the sense that, um, there's a, well, there's a few things to say, a few reasons why. I think there are other references um, to creation throughout the Bible that you think they don't see it like that. Um, I think that it's, uh, it's, part, it's, part of a, it's part of a book that clearly at some point becomes historical narrative. Okay? It's not a mythological book. It's part of a book that at some point becomes... So you actually, you know, in, in that sense, there's no way you can say the whole book is that. So if you're going to say part of it's mythological, you've got to work out where and, and draw the line where. Now, um, from some stuff I was reading this week, it does seem that the rhythm of, um, of chapter 1 particularly is, is, would more likely to be seen as something which isn't simply prose but that there is a rhythm to it which would uh, speak of something that could be more akin to poetry. Um, I think the, I think, I've forgotten what the phrase, what's the article you sent me, the phrase they used, exalted, exalted prose prose was a conclusion of something which I thought was quite an interesting article, exalted prose, that it's prose, but it's not just, it's, there's something about it, the rhythm about it, the majesty about it, which seems to suggest that it could be taken in a way that was perhaps slightly less, slightly less literal. That was the conclusion of that article, which I thought was interesting. Um, But, you know, I, I just think, yeah, that's, why, that's one of the reasons why I'm saying I don't know. I re- I've, read, I've got an incredible co- uh, commentary on Genesis that l- literally takes the whole thing as literal and, and explains it all by a scientist. Right? And then I've got scientists saying anyone who tries to explain Genesis 1 as literal through science are off their nut. Right? Who am I? Who am I to know which one's right? Yeah, I got an F for physics, GCSE. <laughs> I didn't take chemistry or biology. Uh, yeah, I got a G for geology. Yeah. So, and this is what you face when you read 
these very plausible, authoritative things that are saying opposite things. It's a nightmare. And it's not just a nightmare in the sense that they say, here's the evidence, and this one says, it means this, therefore, and the other one says, it means that, which they do a lot of, but it's not just that, it's also, here's the evidence, no it isn't, here's the evidence. So it's even worse. How do, I know? how do I know how many uh, bipedal skulls there actually are that have been dug up that are pre-human? How do I know? You say they fit in a box, you say there's 6,000. How do I know? Do you see what I'm saying? And you're constantly faced with this. So that's why I'm saying, um, unless, you want to, unless you become an individual who is an expert in cosmology, physics, genetics, biology, chemistry, and a whole load of other variants of those things, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult one, isn't it? So just feel my pain. Feel my pain, brothers and sisters. Sorry. I believe in creation. <laughs> um, it's a fairly sciencey question. I'm not sure. Great. I, I ultimately understand. Bring it on. It, but um, it's in terms of just clarifying what you mean when you're talking about evolution. Um, are you meaning natural selection, or are you including within that the idea of the missing link, so that literally monkeys can become human? There isn't a distinction, or the process of natural selection, or both, when you've been referring to evolution. Well, that's been a tricky one this week. <laughs> yeah. So you some papers that are saying, well, let's talk about microevolution, that's fine. Let's talk about macroevolution, you know, that's a different thing. Other papers saying, nonsense, it's the same thing. It's just that that is a, that is a result of this happening lots of times. Thanks. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? It's like, oh, great. So, who the heck knows? What I'm talking about. I mean, I'm not even joking. I'm not, and I'm sorry if, you, if this really, you think, how dare you stand up and do this? Um, all I can say is I would rather be that guy, right, than the guy, that, than the guy that comes with this thing, yeah? That I say it and then I have to run from the room because, frankly, it's got more holes in it than... I don't know, something that's got a lot of holes, right? Yeah? And I've just got to get out of there because I don't know what I'm talking about. I'd rather say, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about. Now, on this, let me just give you a beautiful quote. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones on this. He really here to help me. He said this. He said, I'm always, I'm always nervous of people who keep changing their theology. He said, but I'm equally nervous of those who never do. Yeah? This is an unusual sermon. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, I've never heard him talk like this. Yeah? Why? Because I'm being honest. I'm just, not because I'm being honest, I'm normally not. <laughs> but because I'm being honest about my confusion. Whereas I would say, normally I'm not confused. I am. One more time. Yeah, sure. I mean, they're not, I'm not answering them, so just ask away. <laughs> <laughs> so, Excellent. Um, going back to. <laughs> worldviews. Oh. We're talking about kind of um, yeah. naturalistic worldviews. Yeah. I think it was in response to one thing that you said there. Um, within a naturalistic worldview, someone was suggesting that you can still ask the why question, but that becomes about human morality rather than it necessarily having to be about a supreme being or about God. So can, you can still ask the why question. Why am I here? It just says the why question, so I'm not entirely certain what, what the person meant. Okay. You may not want to say it's fine. I don't, I don't think you can ask why am I here from a, from a sense of there being a, a transcendent meaning or purpose for your life. 
You can't. There is none. This thing randomly happened and you're here. Uh, if you're going to talk mor- morality and morals from a naturalistic worldview, it comes down to, it comes down to, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. Let's do this because it'll be better for both of us. It's better. It's better when we treat each other better. It's not that I love you. It's not that I value you. You can never move to a place of love which is self-sacrifice. Love is self-sacrifice. I will put you before me because I prefer you. You cannot have that. That is... What, what motivation would there be? That, that is transcendent. It's inexplicable. That, and that brings back to the starting point, which is why Christianity had the impact it did. What did the Apostle Paul say? If we believe in Christ for this life only, we're to be more pitied than all men. Why? Because it was a sacrificial life. Why, 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 you know, there were, there's stories of, 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 of Christians being, um, um, uh, being sentenced to execution. Sentenced to execution for their faith. And then just others, in, literally in the court, literally just standing up and just saying, me next. It wasn't just that they kind of accepted it in some kind of stoic sort of way. There was, they, they, they lived, there was this sure and certain hope. Eternal life had begun. It wasn't, oh, I, ho- I hope it, well, I hope it, when we get beyond the grave, there's something there. No, eternal life had become, resurrection had begun internally, spiritually. It was, and they knew that all death would mean ultimately would be, be, be given their resurrection body. They knew it because they knew it because they knew it. It wasn't, hedge my bets, do a bit of Christian religious stuff just in case that bit's true and then do a bit of the other stuff because flip, do you know what? Ooh, this looks a bit costly and I really want to get some good things in this age too. It wasn't, that's not a Christian mentality. So I'm going for Jesus. Because I know him, I've met him, I've found him. This, this is the thing now. And that is hugely challenging to us as believers. But you, you read the, the Bible, New Testament, that is the flavour. It's not, it's not a feeling bad about nice stuff in this life, not at all. God gives us all things for our enjoyment, but it's definitely a holding them lightly. Absolutely. Because we've seen somebody who's seen it. You know Christ. He dwells us by his spirit. <laughs> Christ in us, the hope of glory. So, thanks, Laura. Sorry uh, for those of you that were disappointed by this, but you just, you, 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 I love you, and you're going to have to live with it. Um, we're going to end with a song. Maybe the band could come up. I want to just read some, uh, some, just some scripture to you. That just God's conversation with Job. Please just hear this. Just a few verses. Um, and then we're going to sing a song about creation. And those of us who love the Creator, let's honour Him. Yeah, let's honour Him for His mighty works. You know, I just, you know, you think you walk around the Tate Modern or around, uh, or around the National Portrait Gallery or whatever. You know, you're not just looking at the picture, are you? You look down. Who did this? Okay, there's a, who did it? Who's behind it? And we, the world is great at honouring creation. We're His uh, peculiar people, plucked out. Uh, we, honor, we want to honour the Creator. Uh, you know, wow, we've been made alive through faith. We see Him, we get it. It's a privilege to just honour Him and thank Him.